G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 with Neil Johnson on Vision. While we'll be talking about some deterioration of security issues that are happening on the continent of Africa, some of these things are beginning to develop and mount that cause some sort of concern for people who live in the West, especially for Christians. Now, you may have been keeping up with some of the serious overseas news coming out of Africa, changes in the global spiritual climate. Well, they're affecting Christians in the developing world just as they are in our own backyard here in Australia. Changes in the spiritual climate like the increase of activity of organisations even like ISIS in Africa. They can create dramatic challenges for Christians who are increasingly coming under intense persecution. Right now there's a deteriorating situation in a number of African nations, including Niger and Ethiopia. In Niger, there was a military coup at the end of July. And Nigeria, where there are threats of military action and sanctions, where lack of electricity supplies causing widespread rolling blackouts. And in Ethiopia, a state of emergency has been declared following violent clashes. Well, we're looking for valuable insights today from one of those great organisations working with the persecuted church, Barnabas Aid. And our special guest this hour, Ashley Saunders, is Head of Partnerships for Barnabas Aid in Australia. Barnabas Aid works with Christians suffering discrimination and oppression in over a 100 countries. So, Ashley Saunders, a special welcome back to 2020. Uh, Thanks, Neil. It's great to be with you once again and your listeners as well. Ashley, we'll talk about what's going on in Africa in a few moments, but a general reflection on some deterioration, changes in the way the climate of spirituality works in the world because there are changes that are affecting some of these nations in Africa, changes here that we can see even affecting our own life in Australia. What's your big big picture impression? Well, certainly there is less tolerance for biblical Christianity in many parts of the world. Uh, In the West, we can talk about the West Uh, later on because all of these developments have implications for us in countries here like Australia. But there is, even in other countries, there's a a decreasing tolerance, especially for Christianity. If I can just spend a minute or two to explain some of the way that works, there's a rise of what I would call ideological nationalism. The idea that, for example, in order to truly be Burmese, you must be Buddhist. Uh, Therefore, if you're not Buddhist, if you're Christian, then maybe you're not truly Burmese. Uh, A sense that in order to be truly Indian, you need to be Hindu. So uh, in those two examples I've used, I'm talking about a religious ideology. But in China, uh, it can be a communistic secular uh, ideology that in order to be truly Chinese, uh, you cannot adhere to some religious faith. And so this rise of ideological nationalism uh, is particularly aimed at Christianity. And you might say, well, why is that? Because what goes along with that 
is that although you and I know and many of our listeners know that Christianity was birthed in the Middle East, increasingly in many countries, Christianity is being seen as a Western religion and a factor of colonialism. And so in this age where what we want to do is we want to overcome all of the horrible things that colonialism did, then what goes with that is we must toss out the religion of the colonizers. And so you put those two factors together and life is becoming increasingly difficult for both Christianity as a movement in many places and, of course, uh, for individual Christians. And if you thought that being a Christian was just playing your own little game over in the corner, you would be mistaken because Christians as salt and light, let's just expand that from our individual influence to Christianity as salt and light even across nations, if you start to push it off to the margins, if you try and uh, diminish the influence of Christianity, uh, you're losing a whole lot more. Any reflection here? Because when nations change direction and the tide changes, the climate changes, the atmosphere changes, and Christians are reduced, then there are obvious things that start to happen. Uh, Yes, you're dead right. Because so many of the positive developments that we've seen over the centuries have been a direct result of Christians seeking uh, the Lord's face and following his direction. So, for example, education and hospitals and uh, all those kinds of things and charities doing good works, uh, they have largely um, uh, been the result of Christians wanting to put into practice what uh, Jesus talks about. And, And these days, you probably even notice, and many of your listeners would notice, a change in language. So that instead of freedom of religion... Lately, we've been hearing, if we've heard anything at all, it's been freedom of worship. And that's a very very real distinction because the difference between freedom of worship, not many people mind what building you and I go into on a Sunday and do things that they think are entirely irrelevant. They see that as freedom of worship. But freedom of religion means living it out, impacting society, being salt and light, advocating for those values outside of the building we might go into for a few hours on a Sunday. And Ashley, the way these things are reported, as you uh, rightly say, uh, there's a different way that people are able to express using words. And we know that words create culture. So when you say people are talking about freedom of worship, that's different to freedom of religion. And and it doesn't sound a whole lot different until you start to recognise that one's private and one's public, uh, that you start to recognise the significance there. But when the media is reporting these things, people in the media and journalists are not necessarily mature enough to be able to recognise the religious influence, so they secularise their reporting. Any thoughts here on the way that the influence is coming because it's really missing out on this big dimension of what faith really means? Yeah, misses out in a big way and also comes from the background, the experiences and, dare I even say, the hurts of individual journalists in their upbringing. And generalizations are generally true, and so in the generalization I'm about to make, there are, of course, exceptions. But listening to different television and um, 
uh, secular radio journalists, it is clear that many of them have had a nominal um, Christian upbringing where the level of Christianity to which they were exposed was, in fact, normal life plus doing a bit of religion. Uh, Let me tell you this story that might help uh, illustrate it. When I was pastoring a church in Sydney, uh, the local newspaper wanted to interview me because of my experience in law and politics as well as the church. And I told a story about how that as a 10-year-old, I had ambitions to become a lawyer, a politician and a father. Now, by that, I meant a dad. And when I saw it in print, it said that I had ambitions to be a lawyer, a politician and a priest because that's how the language was heard, because that was relevant to the experience of the journalist. And so uh, I would love for more and more of our journalists here in Australia to understand what true biblical Christianity is. And it takes time to do that. Let's come to some of these developments in the nations of Africa. And I mentioned a few in the introduction there. Uh, Nations like Niger, And the influence then that comes from the nation that's just to the south of Niger, Nigeria, and the nation of Ethiopia. You've been across some of the things that are developing there. And when we're talking religion here, it's not just a Christian focus because there's Islam in the contexts of what's happening with the religious influence in these nations as well. What are your reflections on particularly what's happening in the nation of Niger? We all ought to be concerned about what's happening in West Africa in particular. And so even if many of your listeners might not be aware of the particular geography, what's important to note is that countries like Nigeria, uh, the, the largest population of Africa, a very significant economic player and military player, uh, to the east of that Cameroon, to the northwest of, uh, of that Burkina Faso. And so with the rise of Islamic extremism in those countries, what's really interesting is that Niger, which sort of fits in the middle, has been a buffer against that extremism. And now there's political instability in Niger, which I would be so bold as to say Uh, If it continues, the only winning group will be Islamic extremists. What's probably not known to many people here in Australia is that whereas the core of ISIS, the centre of ISIS, used to be uh, in the Middle East, it is now in West Africa. So when we're talking about Christians in the mix here, you're uh, just, uh, just unpacking a few things here about a rising influence of Islam and the sort of deterioration in security that happens because uh, some of the biggest Christian churches in the world are in places like Nigeria and uh, just some of the stories you'll hear out of there about revival conditions and such things are just uh, incredible. But as you talk about those nations surrounding and uh, the military coup that happened in Niger, uh, there's been recent military coups also, I think, in uh, Burkina Faso. And I'm not sure about Cameroon, but I think there's there's all these uh, nations that have unrest. So when we're talking about Christians and persecution, as there's a changing climate and there's military action, no matter what it's being caused by, 
that actually fuels the rise of Islamic uh, influence and that affects the Christians. Is that the way we think of these things? The only qualification I would make is that uh, we at Barnabas Aid talk about extremists. And, and so I would hope that there would be listeners today who are Muslims. And I want them to know that uh, I'm not talking about them and I'm not talking about Islam. I'm talking about the extremists. And you're right, in West Africa, the extremist element is Islamic extremism. Uh, and we know here in Australia what happens when that kind of extremism rises. We remember, most of us, what it was like in Iraq and Syria. We remember what that led to in terms of mass migration. That's one of the reasons that we here in Australia need to take notice because when there is instability, when there are military actions, when it is unsafe, when you are poor and you can't afford to feed your family, what do you do? You go to the uh, people traffickers because you want to go somewhere to get a bit better life. And so that will happen across the Mediterranean and it will happen right across the world, including people wanting to come to Australia. So there is there is a real implication for Western countries as uh, food insecurity, poverty, military action, religious persecution mean there will be people movements across the world. Ashley, what do you think has been fueling the upsets and uh, these things like uh, military coups? Uh, what's been fueling those things in those West African nations? As a Christian, I would say that the core element uh, is human sinfulness and elements that are present here in Australia as well of a desire for power, um, a desire for wealth, a desire for influence. Uh, in the sinful human condition, we deceive ourselves into thinking that we can control things when you and I know that I don't even control the air that I breathe. I'm entirely uh, reliant on God, even for the air that I breathe. But we deceive ourselves and we allow, at a spiritual level, the evil one to deceive us into thinking that we can have power and we can have control. And many of these movements are about those things, and it's fed by poverty. It's fed by instability. Uh, on the news this morning, on the on the television news, uh, when there was discussion about what's happening in Russia with that uh, plane that uh, crashed uh, yesterday, uh, the a lady who was interviewed was described as a Stalin loyalist. And I've got to tell you that my thought immediately went to, with all of the horrible things that were part of Stalin and his regime, why would anybody want to describe themselves as a Stalin loyalist? And yet there are people even today in Russia, as evidenced by that news report I saw only this morning, who will look to him and say, he gave me something or he offered me something that I wanted. And so despots arise because of instability, because of poverty, because I want to be in a better situation or to have a better life. And if there is a democratic government that is in power uh, and you have rising poverty, let's just call this for what it is. And we're suffering this in Australia right now, a cost of living crisis. People can't live uh, day to day. Uh, they get into survival mode and they will follow the one who promises the way out. Uh, this is something, too, that, that it affects the way that military regimes rise and fall. Without a doubt it does. And people um, are survivalists. 
before you can even become aspirational, and there's been discussion about aspirational voters here in Australia uh, over the years, but before you can be an aspirationalist, you first of all need to survive. And so, for example, our feeding programs, uh, we sometimes get asked, why would you bother sending food to some of these places? And the answer is because that's what they need to live. And before they can even think about being self-sustaining, before they can even think about uh, growing in all kinds of ways, we first of all need to keep them alive. And it's that kind of uh, personal insecurity that feeds both the desire, but also some of that, um, what I would call sinful action and uh, despotism. Uh, and, and democracy, you mentioned democratic government. D democracy is only as good as the values that are shared by the people. And so if the values of the nation are in fact godly values, then democracy works really well. But if the values are not, then you and I could have a discussion about what might happen to how that democracy is lived out if the values that the government is representing are not godly. Recently, we highlighted the appalling situation in Sudan, which is uh, very um, war-torn, uh, where... Christians in Sudan, as opposed to South Sudan, Christians in Sudan are very much a minority. And with the, the war that's been going on, many Christians from the more north areas of Sudan have fled across and are now refugees in Egypt. Others have gone to the south, to South Sudan. And as you have rightly said, there are others who've gone across as far as Uganda. And so that whole idea of people movement, of being internally displaced as well as being international refugees. And so it just highlights the, the way in which instability impacts people. And remember that the gospel of Jesus Christ is all about people, that God loves people. And so uh, our heart goes out, and, and I'm just so pleased for our supporter base who, who are willing to generously give of what the Lord has given them so that we can assist people, to, yes, to, to feed them, to clothe them, to house them. And, and you know, our feeding program called Food.Gives, our feeding program is now a very significant program because of the food uh, instability. Would you let me tell you one story? And that is many people know Madagascar from the movie. What's not known about Madagascar is that in parts of of that country, Christians are a minority and a disadvantaged minority. And although there were recently some cyclones, before that there's been a long-term drought. Now, many of our listeners would know that when there's been a long-term drought and then you get some rain, uh, heavy storms, instead of helping the land, that just washes away more of the topsoil. And so in parts of Madagascar, we, we, we've seen that there are Christians who are reduced to eating cactus, about the only thing that will grow. And so we've sourced something called EPAP from South Africa, which is like a nutritious dry porridge to which you just add water. And so Christians in Madagascar are really hungry. In parts of Mozambique, now we used to talk about Christian persecution in the north of Africa, but Mozambique is a country that borders South Africa. Now, sure, a long country, and I'm talking about the north of Mozambique, but some of the atrocities that we're hearing, and so again, there are people moving. Uh, and as they move, they get into refugee camps, and they're hungry. They've got no food. 
Uh, and so feeding program has become a significant part of what we're doing uh, to help Christians who are disadvantaged, uh, who are oppressed, who are persecuted, those who suffer because of the name of Jesus. And so those feeding programs like yours and the one we were talking about with Feed the Hungry, these become actually an integral part of how our Christian witness shines because we are typically the ones who are interested in feeding the hungry because we have a thought that these people have dignity. We can't just leave those people to die. There's something in the Christian ethos that leads us into this sort of support. And uh, I think listeners can hear that's what's happening with Barnabas Aid as we were talking about this with Feed the Hungry yesterday. This thought that there is something in our Christianity, something of our Christ-likeness that has an affinity for support and help for the poor. Yes, there is. And it's important probably to mention one distinctive of Barnabas Aid, uh, unlike some other organisations. And, uh, and so we're influenced in large part by Galatians 6.10, where Paul says, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people. And we acknowledge that there are many organisations, including many Christian organisations that do that. But we have a special calling on our ministry to the second part of that verse, where Paul says, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. And so our ministry is a ministry to Christians because we want to make sure that Christians are not missed out. We want to make sure that Christians are fed, that Christians are nurtured, because we want the Church of Jesus Christ in those areas uh, to be strengthened. Uh, So that's a very important ministry that we have uh, to the Church in these countries. And when you've talked uh, internal displacements, uh, the movements of people, and that could be for all sorts of reasons, uh, whether it's a rising cost of living or whether it's a, a war that has broken out that's caused a civil war and there are refugees, or whether it even is issues around droughts and natural disasters that move people, it upsets a balance. And where you've got a upset of balance that leads to a power grab uh, or the rise of extremism, then oftentimes it's Christians who suffer. And that's uh, where your good work comes to the fore. Barnabas Aid. We're talking with Ashley Saunders. He's head of partnerships for Barnabas Aid in Australia. They're working in over 100 countries. Uh, More coming after news and talking about how some of these things may be developing even in our own context either. Uh, We've been talking, Ashley, around what's happening and uh, certainly some West African nations and other African nations that you've been raising where there's real issues that are really big challenges and talking through those things that cause internal displacement of people, uh, whether that be the uh, you know uh, weather disasters or whether it's the rising cost of living, whether it's internal conflict, uh, military coups and uh, those things that push people into other nations upsets the balance of who's in power and then there are jostling parties that are looking to take power. Let me ask you uh, that when we have Western governments that would support people who were in power in nations all around the world, uh, there were some levels of stability. Western governments have lost that level of influence, it would appear. I'll get your thoughts here. Is that also contributing to some instabilities that we might be seeing around the world? There's probably a couple of factors that relate to that. One is that, uh, in large part, many parts of the West are tired 
of playing global policeman. I don't know that we live in a world any longer that would tolerate uh, America and its allies, including Australia, uh, going in uh, to, in a sense, be the policeman. Not only in those countries, and some would even argue that, that this is beyond my pay grade, but some would even argue that the deteriorating situation in the Middle East was um, aggravated by the role of the West uh, in those countries. Uh, what I would say is not only is there not any longer, I don't think, an appetite in those countries, I don't think there's an appetite in the West. I don't think there's an appetite in America that would say, uh, please go and make this world a safer place. There's a sense in which the West um, is in moral decline. You might even argue that it's in decline more generally as we turn in on ourselves, as we question our own values, as we try to focus more on issues um, that I think divide people. Some have even said in recent commentary that we're hating ourselves or we're learning to hate ourselves and that a culture that despises itself is not going to survive. Now, those, raise, those matters I've just mentioned are big topics that demand an hour or two by themselves. Suffice to say, though, that I don't think the West... America in particular, Australia, I think, uh, is not in a place where we would accept an overseas role to be the policeman. Uh, so yes, there's a not a, a willingness over there, but I don't think there's a willingness at home either. Of course, Ukraine has taken the attention too, hasn't it? And it would appear that Western nations have sided with Ukraine and uh, perhaps rightly so, against the aggressor, uh, Russia, invading their sovereign territory. And and uh, I always say, of course we side with Ukraine because we don't want that sort of aggression happening uh, over sovereign states. Uh, but when you've got this major international focus onto the Russian-Ukrainian conflict, no one's looking at those nations in Africa. They are being completely ignored. It's as though they don't exist or they're not important. And that in itself got to be a concern for us because there may be those who are flying under the radar with their own power pursuits because they know that the West is preoccupied with what's happening in Ukraine and Russia. Any thoughts here around some of the deteriorating situation in Africa? Do you think that because there's no focus on those nations that there may be all sorts of things happening behind the scenes? Without a doubt. And the West's focus on the Ukraine situation, I think, empowers despots in other places to do things knowing that they're doing it off stage, so to speak. There are literally hundreds of wars in the world today, and we don't hear about most of them. And the situation in Ukraine is terrible. Notice, however, consistent with what we were just talking about, that Western governments are supporting Ukraine, including Australia, but not with the sending of troops, with the provision of equipment and training and those kinds of things. But there's not an appetite to say we've got to stamp this out. In some ways, going back to the spiritual climate, it's almost like the spiritual climate that existed back in the 1980s 
where uh, the founders of Barnabaside were really trying hard to get uh, churches in the West to recognize that there was persecution in uh, majority Islamic countries. But their focus was on what? Their focus was on communism. Communism was the great enemy. It was the great enemy culturally. It was the great enemy economically. And it was also therefore seen as the great enemy spiritually. And it was a great enemy spiritually. I'm not downplaying that. But if that was the focus, what that meant was uh, the founders of Barnabaside had a terrible job trying to get even Western churches to recognize that beyond communism, there were Christians suffering in other places. And that's just an example of what can happen behind the scenes, uh, off stage, so to speak, when the focus is not on the reality. And so we need to make sure the focus stays on the reality in those countries and bringing it to home is why Christians here in Australia need to be very vigilant uh, in making sure that we don't lose ground spiritually here either. So more divisions to talk about here because uh, when you've got uh, governments that, as you say, are in some sense, because they are secular governments, they're interested in the threat of communism. They're not interested in the other extremist threats that might be confronting the world, and those other extremist threats might be even more of a threat to Christianity. But because of a secularized humanist government mentality, uh, people are not even interested in the fact that there might be people who hold to a Christian faith. Aren't they just secular citizens of another nation. No, they're not, because they hold to a certain belief system. There is a sense here, and I'll get your thoughts, because even in Australia, uh, it's becoming very difficult to trust the government to protect your Christian right to religious freedom. They're manoeuvring away from that, it would appear, fairly rapidly, and we could be in for rough times ahead. Is there a sense in which those Christians in those African nations we've been talking about, Christians who are under persecution around the world, Christians here, even in Australia, we can't put our faith in the government to protect our Christian rights. No, we can't. There's a sense in which Scott Morrison made that point shortly after losing government last year, and I don't know whether you remember he was speaking at, I think, Hillsong, certainly at a large church, and was making that point, and in my view was deliberately misrepresented as saying you can't trust the government. Uh, the message I got from what I heard him say was, you don't put your faith in the government. The government is not your saviour. Your saviour is Jesus Christ, and you should hold your governments to account to make sure that their role of protecting your liberties and your freedoms as citizens uh, are in fact being undertaken. And, and so we cannot put faith in our governments as our saviour. Uh, we must in fact hold governments to account because their role is to protect our liberties uh, and our freedoms. That's their role. And you could ask yourself, and maybe many listeners today are even asking themselves, is our government, are the governments of the West doing that? You know, Ashley, before you came on today, in our earlier conversation with Bill Muhlenberg, we were talking about this topic, keeping the peace of the city. Uh, some listeners uh, will be uh, remembering that we had that conversation just before we started ours, and that's about 45 minutes ago now that we uh, that we finished that conversation up. But we were talking about keeping the peace of the city, and uh, Bill was reflecting on Jeremiah. 
and his message to the exiled children of Israel as they were taken into captivity in Babylon. And keeping the peace of the city was part of Jeremiah's focus. Uh, We were also in that conversation bringing out the fact that there are other times throughout history, like the time of the Roman Empire and the oppression that came uh, from the brutal uh, Romans and uh, even reflections there, St. Augustine and his writings about the city of God, a city of God and a city of man and, uh, and saying these things are different. So the peace of the city, any reflection from you here as to when we talk about the sufferings that are happening around the world, how we might navigate ways forward when our own government here in Australia is turning its back on protection for Christians? Yeah, lots of thoughts. In the time permitted, perhaps these one or two. And that is there are some people and there are some organisations that exercise what I would call the prophetic ministry. Uh, Remember that prophecy uh, is not so much about saying what's going to happen in the future, but prophecy is about saying this is what God says. And there are individuals and there are organisations with that prophetic ministry to our society, to our culture, to our governments. For many of us uh, listening here today, we don't sense that prophecy or that prophetic ministry ourselves. And so what I would say to them is, yes, pray for those with the gift of the prophetic, but what we can do, what you can do if that's that's you that are concerned without having that prophetic ministry, is be encouraged. You mentioned Jeremiah. Now, now Jeremiah wrote Lamentations, and from Lamentations we get that great passage that says, the compassions of the Lord never fail. The passage that gave rise to that great hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness. Wonderful words that are still sung today, even though it was written ages ago. And In terms of lamentations, it's worth remembering that this was a time when Jerusalem was being destroyed, when many of its inhabitants had been killed, when many of its survivors were being marched off to exile. And yet in the midst of all of that, Jeremiah writes, great is your faithfulness, O God. Your compassions never fail. And so my primary message to listeners today would be this. Be encouraged by God. Be encouraged by his word. Be encouraged by those who have uh, much more experience than us in suffering for their faith. You know, when I speak to suffering Christians and I say, how would we pray? You you know, we rarely get the answer. Pray that the persecution will stop. Most commonly they say, would you please pray that in the face of persecution we would be faithful? You see, in Australia, where uh, I would be so bold as to suggest that many of us have taken our eye off the main game. Uh, We've started to put our um, faith in, it might be too strong a word, but our confidence in things like superannuation uh, or pensions uh, or government more generally. Um, That even in terms of many of the charitable works that used to be done by Christians, we now look to the government to do that. And so we've taken our eyes off the main game, I would suggest, and we need to refocus. We need to actually put our faith in Jesus. We need to demonstrate what it is to love one another as followers of Jesus. Uh, And so we, we need a revival, a revival to what I would call biblical Christianity, loving God, loving one another, faithfulness. 
and that even if my world crumbles, uh, what's that great psalm, Psalm 46, you know, even if the, the mountains fall into the sea, even if that happens, God is still God and he is faithful. That's a great encouragement today. And let's not fall into the thought that somehow or other any comparison between the deterioration in here, Australia, is yet anywhere near as bad as what we're seeing in some nations around the world. Uh, some people would love to say that here we are in Australia under persecution because some of our identities are being dragged before the courts. Uh, this is nowhere near what is happening in the persecution that we're seeing of Christians around the world because uh, while there is some levels of oppression, uh, there's other things that are extreme like taking lives, killing, uh, the killing of Christians. So while we're nowhere near that yet, I think there's something there in uh, taking encouragement uh, from your expression about the prophet uh, because there are a lot of people that call themselves prophets these days and uh, people who prophesy. Uh, But as you reflect there, and I think quite rightly so, Ashley Saunders, um, when you've got the biblical prophets, there was not only a foretelling aspect of what they did, but they were also forth-telling prophets. They were warning of what was coming, and they were also people who were politically minded, and they were in the ear of the king or the government and saying, what you're doing is not right. Uh, Those are challenging times. So when you say there's maybe not that prophetic voice that's happening, perhaps there needs to be a realignment of what that prophet does. It's the encouragement for the people in hardship, but it's also the challenge to the leaders. Without a doubt. Uh, and so there's there's a number of aspects to the prophetic. And so I was certainly calling on those who have a prophetic ministry to speak to our culture, to speak to our governments, uh, and, there's, and also to speak to Christians. Because another aspect of prophecy isn't just the foretelling or the forthtelling, but in my view, a very central aspect of prophecy, and that is, therefore, in light of this, how should I now live? Because of what is going to happen, because of what God says right now, what are the implications for how I should live? And the answer is, live by faithfulness. Live by looking to God. Uh, look Look to him Uh, for your needs. Thank him. Be generous. Live for him. Grow in him. And don't fall into the the trap of just, uh, in a sense, being reduced to a private faith. Live your life, live your faith publicly. Let your good works shine, not to point a finger at yourself, but what does the scripture say? So that people may rejoice and recognize who God is. I think there's something some listeners will pick up and uh, hearing what you're saying, Ashley Saunders, which I think is very, very valuable, is that things are not getting better, they're getting worse. And while we might think of Western civilization as having its foundation in Christianity, uh, are those biblical precepts that give us the stability to be able to have a flourishing society. We can all recognize that and we talk about that frequently on this program. But if Western nations are turning their back and are no longer friends of Christians around issues like religious freedom and the ability to be able to conduct your religious faith through your religious Christian schools and uh, churches, if the West is no longer our friend or is very quickly slipping out of our friendship, that does paint a bit of a bleak future for the, for the, uh, for the future, doesn't it? Yes, it does. And one of the most significant changes that I've seen even in the five years 
I've been with uh, Barnabas Aid is that five years ago, if I was in a group meeting and someone was to ask me, is there persecution in Australia today? You know, there'd be some in that group, I'd say, well, what do you think? And there'd be some in that group who'd say, uh, yes, there is the seed of it. Some would say no. And there was a group uh, always that would say, how dare you even ask the question? That's been a significant change because now the reality is biting that, yes, there are some aspects, without a doubt, nowhere near as terrible, nowhere near as blatant. Uh, it's not like, for example, in like in Nigeria and parts of Pakistan and other places where the persecution is the killing of Christians. We're not nowhere near at that stage. Uh, pray God we never get to that stage. But it's insidious uh, and there's very strong coercion to fall into line with prevailing views and not to express views that are contrary to the increasing prevailing narrative. You know, uh, over the years, if Christianity had taken that view with any other worldview, could you imagine, to so go back to the time when Christianity was the central focus uh, of culture here in Australia, where you might say church was at the centre of culture, if, if we as the church was to have treated other worldviews, other religious views, other values uh, in the way that the prevailing narrative is today, we'd have been criticised, and in my view, rightly so. Uh, we need, instead of, instead of just lamenting and wishing to go back to those, those days, let's lament in the way of lamentations by saying, yep, this is pretty bad, yep, this might get worse, but God is faithful. Ashley Saunders, Barnabas Aid, are there any special um, uh, campaigns, uh, any special ways that listeners today can connect with you? I mean, is there uh, you know appeals and things like that that you're running at the moment? Uh, working in 100 countries, are there particular countries that you, as the partnerships leader in Australia, are you focusing the Australian attention on particular nations? Uh, what can listeners do to connect with you like that? Uh, very recently, uh, only a, in, in the last week or so, there were some terrible uh, things happened in parts of Pakistan. It, 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 in fact, even reached the secular press. It was it was so terrible. And so we're wanting to work with uh, survivors uh, of that attack. Uh, and in addition to that, we're working very actively with refugees from Sudan, both those who've gone north into Egypt and those who've gone down into South Sudan. Uh, and, and so people can... Uh, go to our website, barnabasaid.org. Uh, if you want to donate, there's a donut ba donate button. Uh, if you want to simply connect with the office, there are uh, telephone numbers and email addresses. Uh, and I would welcome people expressing an interest uh, in praying for and giving to the needs that exist around the world. Well, let me give the website for connecting with Barnabas Aid, and uh, you might be able to get a message through there to Ashley Saunders. Ashley is Head of Partnerships for Barnabas Aid in Australia. I imagine with a title like that, Ashley, uh, you know, you're looking to make new friends, uh, people, organisations, churches, to support some of the good work you do as well? Uh, that's part of the role, yes, without a doubt, to engage with partners, to engage with supporters, to engage with churches, uh, to get people praying. Uh, that's the most important thing people can do. Uh, if someone is in a position to give financially, of course I encourage them to do that. But please, everyone should remember that a ministry we can all do is a ministry of prayer.
Uh, well, there are some wonderful ministries that are working with the persecuted church, and Barnabas Aid is one of those, and a shining light that has its focus on Christians who are under intense persecution, working in over a hundred countries. To connect with Ashley Saunders at Barnabas Aid, here's the website: Barnabas Aid. That's B A R N A B A S Aid dot org dot A U slash A U. Slash AU. There you go. BarnabasAid.org slash AU. Uh, Ashley Saunders, always such a pleasure uh, just getting your insights. Thank you so much for sharing those with listeners today on 2020. Great to be with you and great to be with your listeners again. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.